Hello and welcome to the Fantasy National Golf Club. This is Nice Shot Pods, featuring Tractor, the Rhino, the Moose, and Paul. This week, we break down the American Express. We talk about multi-entry roster construction in the Fantasy National lineup generator. Tractor brags about starting the year off in one and done with a third place from Webb Simpson. We continue with our Fantasy Four Ball Nassau, and we play Who the Hell is That and What Should His Nickname Be. Welcome back to the Fantasy National Golf Club. This is the second episode of Nice Shot Pods. I'm the Moose. You can find me at, at the Mooseonomics on Twitter. I am the founder and chairman of the Fantasy National Golf Club. Uh, by the way, you can go and join the Fantasy National Golf Club and save 20% by going to fantasynational.com slash pods. That's fantasynational.com slash pods. And uh, last week we had uh, we were off to a good start with our first episode. And a bunch of listeners, despite not being available on Apple or TuneIn or Stitcher or whatever those are, but this were this week we are on all the platforms. So we are going to have a contest where you can win a free annual subscription to Fantasy National. All you have to do is go on, give us a rating, write a v- review, send us a picture, or leave your uh, Twitter handle in your review, and that'll be good enough for us to qualify you. Um, this week we're going to be talking about the American Express. <laughs> it's a new name for a really old tournament. It's kind of a significant upgrade from some of the names they've had over the past decade, namely the Humana Challenge in partnership with the Clinton Foundation, which is probably the worst sporting event title in the history of sports. But everybody knows this as the Bob Hope. And before we can dig in, I need to bring in my pods. So to do that, I thought we'd channel a little Billy on the street and play a game we call who said it, Bob Hope or Happy Gilmore? Tractor, how you doing? Pretty good, Moose. How you doing today? Doing pretty good. Where can people find you at on Twitter? You can find me at FNGC Tractor. Okay, so you ready? You, you understand the rules of this? Yeah. I'm going to read you some, some phrases, and you have to tell me whether it was said by Bob Hope or Happy Gilmore. Done. Let's go. If you think golf is relaxing, you're not playing it right. Is that Bob Hope or Happy Gilmore? I'm going to go with Bob Hope. That is correct. Um... Here's another one. I still hold two league records. Most time spent in the penalty box, and I was the only guy to ever take off his skate and try to stab somebody. That was Happy Gilmore. That's correct. Dolores says there are days when I'm closer to shooting my weight than my age. That's Bob Hope. Correct again. You eat pieces of shit for breakfast? That's Happy Gilmore. (laughs) That's correct. Okay, great. Let's bring in the rhino here. How you doing, man? Doing pretty good. How you doing? Where can people find you at on Twitter here? Lovely. I'm at uh, FNGC Rhino. Okay. Do you think Do you think you know as much about Bob Hope as Tractor did? Yeah, I eat pieces of shit like you for breakfast. <laughs> okay. Okay. Here we go. I've been playing the game so long that my handicap is in Roman numerals. Bob Hope. That's correct. I think I just killed that Mister Mister Lady. I wish it was Bob Hope. I think this is Happy Gilmore. Correct. Uh, golf is a game that needlessly prolongs the lives of some of our most useless citizens. Uh, Bob Hope. Yes. And true. Very true. You're going to die, clown. Bob Hope. No. <laughs> no, that was Happy no, Gilmore. Okay. Paul. 
Moose, how we doing? How you doing? Um, other than taking Patrick Reed in one and done and Matt Kuchar in the fantasy NASA, both missed the cut. I'm doing great. Hey, do you think you're going to do pretty well on who said it? Bob I, Hope? Or yeah, Matt I think Gilmore? I'll be better at that than it was with my, uh, my Sony picks. Okay. Arnold Palmer once told me I could cut up eight strokes of my score. Just skip the par threes. That would be Bob Hope. That's correct. And it's actually just skip one par three, not the par threes. Because <clears throat> eight would be pretty solid. Okay. What? Friends listen to Endless Love in the Dark. Happy Gilmore. Correct. At least he can't cheat on his score. All you have to do is look back down the fairway and count the wounded. That would be Bob Hope. That is correct. The price is wrong, bitch. Definitely happy Gilmore on that one. Guys, I didn't know you guys were such Bob Hope fans. You guys really <laughs> knew this. We're older than we look. I think the best part about that entire movie, though, is when they're doing uh, Friends Listen to the Endless Whatever in the Dark. And <laughs> you got the Zamboni driver singing. I'm like, I'm sorry. Yeah, like, that just went into my mind. And I just laughed so hard thinking about that. He's like in his driver's cap. Oh, my God. Oh, I love it. So we are at La Quinta, California this week. It's a three-course event. Man, I hate three-course events. You can never tell what the hell's going on with your DraftKings till like, Sunday. But no TrackMan's killer. No shot link. It is brutal. So um, let's run down through kind of the top winners before we get into the courses individually here. So in 2019, we had Adam Long at uh, minus 26 over Adam Hadwin and Phil Mickelson. 2018 was John Rahm at minus 22 over Adam Landry in a playoff. Uh, 2017 was Hudson Swafford at minus 20 over Adam Hadwin. 2016 was Duffner at minus 25 over David Lingmurth. And some other scores to win it were minus 22 and 28 on that one. Now, three courses they have this week are La Quinta Country Club, PGA West Nicholas Course, or the Tournament Course, and the PGA Stadium Course, which is a die design course. Who wants to lead us off with La Quinta? Oh, I got La Quinta. Bring it, Tractor. So, La Quinta Country Club was founded in 1955 and designed by Lawrence M. Hughes. Uh, I looked at the other courses that he designed, and I have never heard of any of them. But maybe Thunderbird Country Club, but I'm also thinking about the Ford Thunderbird, so I was a little confused. <laughs> One fun fact that I did find on this is his dad worked with Donald Ross as a construction supervisor at Ross Designs back in the day. So that is how Lawrence M. Hughes got into the uh, golf business. Uh, the course plays 7,060 yards with a rating of 74.3 and a slope of 136. So if I'm playing out there from the tips, I'm a 12. I feel pretty good about that because uh, I think with 12 shots, I'm pretty deadly. Uh, some of the fun facts of this course was it's apparently pretty tight with bunkers and mature trees. Uh, when you're looking at this golf course, the guys need to birdie 6, 11, and 13. Uh, those are all par fives on average. You're looking at about 52% of the guys birdie on those holes. And then your, your tough stretches, you're looking at holes two and three. And then the big tough stretch at 14 through 16, which is a par four, par three, par four. Uh, it is a Bermuda grass golf course, which I believe, I think all three are this week. And uh, if you go to their website, they have many quotes from the PGA players saying they're the best greens on tour. 
And that Ooh. may be why uh, three putts there are well below tour average. Sweet. Nice That's what I got. Tracker. That's pretty good. I like that. Let's uh, move on to PGA West Nicholas course. All right, Paul here. I can uh, tackle that one. Um, did a little bit of research, maybe some different information than what Tracker provided, but um, this is one of six courses at PGA West. And what my research shows is this is kind of more of the, uh, what you call basically the kind of the more of the fun course for, for players, to, you know, for a little more enjoyable round, whereas the stadium course is a little more difficult, probably for the better player. Um, this is the fifth year in the rotation for this event. Started back in 2016. Scoring average the last four years, 69.46, which was second easiest on tour behind La Quinta, actually, that Tracker just um, took us through. Um, not overly long, 71.59, par 72. Um, Got to make your hay in the par fives here. Three of them are under 550 yards. And um, looking at the uh, the stats on fit the Fantasy National, um, all four of those par fives, over 50% of the field, plays those under par. So if you're not making birdies on those holes, you're losing ground to everybody. Um, very generous off the tee. Apparently not much strategy or creativity is required. <laughs> That was one of the things I read on this course. Um, kind of weaves through some neighborhoods the way it sounds. I think I also read it was kind of your typical Florida or Southwest uh, course. Um, there are some hazards, some bunkers, but off the tee, it's they're all pretty avoidable. Due Did to, you say uh, Florida or Southwest? That's what this one article said, and I don't want—I don't want to steal somebody's information, but that was you know sorry for not citing that article, but <laughs> I've been down there. It's it's what they're saying is I mean it's played in like a gated community. Yep. So that's that's it. Okay, that makes sense. Then. It's like any gated community golf course. Target golf houses ponds. Back to uh, reason the hazards are easily avoidable. It is some of the widest fairways on tour, and then also a lot of that um, that trouble can easily be carried, whether it be bunkers or some water hazards. Um, there are some trouble around the greens with some deep bunkers in that. Um, but again, these guys aren't missing fairways. There's no wind. It's not overly long. Unless you're a terrible wedge player like myself, you're you're not having to deal with those that trouble around the greens too much. Interestingly enough, course record is 62, shot by David Lingworth and Kevin Na, which actually both those guys are not that long hitters. So it shows you don't necessarily need to be be a bomber to go um, to go low at that course. Reading back on the names of the guys who've won here, the only kind of longer guy of the whole bunch was John Rahm. Well, Phil's pretty long too, and he's had some success. That's right. Success out there. But Well, John Rahm's not going to be there this week, so who cares? I don't think he'll <laughs> ever be there. He's done with that place. But Phil's his boy. He's got to go support Phil. This is the Phil that's, tournament. That's true. It is Phil's tournament now, yeah. A lot of added pressure in that. Really. Oh yes, he's yes he's the uh, host, the host, filling in Bob Hope's shoes. <laughs> Impossible. I don't, I don't know. know. Bob I read through a lot of the Bob, Bob Hope, Hope had a lot of bombs. Just... Yeah, but um, yeah, like Tractor said, also Bermuda greens, just like the other two courses in the rotation. Um, but I did, although they are considered Bermuda. Technically, because it's dormant, the Bermuda's dormant this time of year. It's so technically like a rye poa overseed grass. Rye, yeah. So, you know, if you're doing your stats on the Fantasy National, 
you know, the Bermuda might not be exactly um, the green. Right, what you're looking the, for. Yeah, the that overseeded rye can typically. Yeah, that overseeded rye typically doesn't have as much grain and kind of acts a little bit more like a bent grass. So that might be a route to go. That's a good point. And that brings us to the PGA West Stadium course. Rhino, what do you got on that? Uh, well, first and foremost, it was created and designed by Pete Dye, uh, who recently passed away last week. Um, not going to put him put him down in any way. Uh, I've never necessarily been a fan of Pete Dye golf courses. And going back, uh, reading some articles back about the 1987 uh, event, it doesn't sound like the tour was really keen on Pete's design. It sounds like they had a uh, pretty straightforward uh, plan to design the hardest golf course in the world, which Pete felt like he basically did, creating kind of uh, TPC Sawgrass West. Some of the quotes I read describing the golf course, spiteful, belligerent. You need a camel, a canoe, a priest, and a tourniquet to get through it. <laughs> that's, a, that's an awesome quote. Yeah. Uh Tom Watson, who's been around, played a little bit of golf. I'm tired. I'm sick and tired of these courses. It requires you to execute shots that no sane golfer should be expected to play. So, I mean, it sounds like in current, you know, the modern game has kind of passed it by. It's uh, kind of middle of the pack. I think it was 30th out of uh, 50 golf courses they played last year. So it's kind of middle of the pack. It used, you know, obviously in 87, it was a, a totally different animal without the technology and the players. Um, so it's, uh, yeah, it's definitely going to be the hardest of the three. No doubt they're going to play it on Sunday. Everybody's going to get a shot at it and then um, do it all over on Sunday. So, Jordan, quick question for you here. So when you're talking about the modern game, uh, when past that, we all know how Pete Dye course is set up. Not my favorite either. Well, how do they set up? Yeah, so they're they're optically very challenging. Um, you know, your sight lines are always going to be a little bit crooked. Um, you're going to have to shape shots in the fairway. Hit to the stick. Hit to the stick, yeah. And then usually when you get out there and you can kind of turn around and look back at the tee box, you go, oh, okay, there was a little more room to the right than I originally thought. Uh, it, it takes a little while. you got to play them a few times before you kind of get the lay of the land. Do you think the guys now are just are just so big, so long, and they can just blow out the targets? You just go yeah, to yeah, and, and just if, go to zone two off the tee. Exactly, yeah. And if you are extremely uncomfortable, then you just pull two iron, right, or some kind of a driving iron, just rip it out there two sixty, and and there you go. Whereas you know, I don't think you had that option back in nineteen eighty seven. No, since we're kind of going into the history of this whole stuff too, uh, you know, one of the things that I kind of learned was that this tournament, up until two thousand eleven, I believe, was a five day tournament. And it was a pro-am, just like the Pebble Beach pro-am still to this day. Could it's, you, it's still a pro-am, correct? It is, yeah. They just don't show any of the pros? Because it's well, a it's huge more, this week. These are more like, you know, Pebble Beach is like the celebrities, and these are kind of the, you know, the CEOs and things oh, like so that. Oh, so they still have a pro-am like every other tournament yeah, does. Yeah, four, four rounds. But it's not. A pro am. It's now the American Express. We didn't even get into that. What did you guys? What do you guys think of the American Express? Not like the American Express Open or the Classic or. Sounds like they're taking money. Good for the tournament. I mean, more money to the pot. Who cares? Yeah. Yeah. They said they upped the. Um, they upped the purse from five point nine million to six point seven million. So I mean, yeah, it's a pretty big, hefty, big deal. So they're trying to. That's the thing these days. If you're not paying money for these tournaments, you're not going to get guys to come when, you know, there's so many of these good tournaments year in, year out. So trying to up their game a little bit. Yeah. Well, and that's exactly what the deal was, is that 
back when it was a five round tournament with celebrity partners over five days, everybody got so pissed that, you know, this is supposed to be kind of just easing your way into the, into the round. And there were so many people coming out to check out the celebrities that it like just became a lot more formal than anything that any of the players wanted. And so they've just done a whole lot of shifting. Or Ever some since. guy got stuck five days with Charles Barkley and wanted to blow his brain out. <laughs> <laughs> I'm guessing he didn't make the cut, though. Yeah. Why? It, they said too, they made the point last night during the Sony uh, broadcast that you know it was kind of an issue for those guys that played Hawaii. They wouldn't want to go play this tournament because they leave Hawaii Sunday. You know, long flight back to get stateside. You know, you get in Monday, you're jet lagged, then you got to you know tournament starts Wednesday already, right? So I think that was part of it too, where they they went down to the four day, only to have another pro am. You know what? Three or four weeks down the road at Pebble. Yeah, a much more fun pro am. Mm-hmm. The Clambake. I didn't know you were such a big Ray Romano. Watch him slap it around, guy. I love. All right, I love watching celebrities play. I'm sorry. It's Why? Fun. Because they're like me. They suck. <laughs> well, I thought you were a deadly twelve. Yeah, but they're also like deadly fourteens. I mean, it's just entertaining to watch, like, normal people play. I also like when they get nervous because they hit people with golf balls. True. And I got, I want to give a tractor minute for PGA West. And now, time for a tractor minute on PGA West. If you guys are ever down in that area and you need a place to play, three of the courses there are private and two of them are public. If you want to feel really good about your driving... Play the uh, play the Norman course. All right. I've never played a Norman course. I went down there and played the Norman course. I don't know. I got a last minute tee time on like golf now for like 90 bucks. Played by myself. I didn't hit an effing fairway the entire day. Like I should never hit one. This thing is like thinned out desert scape hard pack like a bull. You blow it wherever you want. It runs 50 yards down through the desert and comes back in the fairway. I was hitting bombs everywhere. <laughs> I mean, 40 yards right, woo, back to the fairway. I was loving life. So if you want a round when you're down there, decent public track, and you want to be able to blow it but always be in the fairway, that's the jam. Also, there's no rough, big positive for that time of year, just like Talking Stick North. It's a great time. Well, what time of year did you go? Oh, I don't know, January, sometime for work. Okay. I mean, but the Norman course, you want to feel good about yourself, sling it wherever you want. It's going to go back in the fairway. It's a great time. That's interesting. I've played a couple of Norman courses before, and they're normally just super tight. Yeah. As you were saying about Tiburon, right, Jordan? Yeah. Yeah, big time. And I think Medalist is also a Norman course. I mean, it's there's a little bit of room, but you can't sling it 40 yards right and somehow hit the fairway. I'm telling you, that's why this course was freaking awesome. I felt like God's gift to driving. I remember when we played Cabot and we had a match against each other tractor and you were hitting your drive 45 degrees offline and you're just somehow just in a different fairway with nothing in your way. Just battled the entire time. I know how to play Cabot. Thanks for that, Canada. Hey, I know where to miss. <laughs> other fairways. We now return to whatever the hell it was we were talking about. So, yeah, so this week with, you know, the three courses, that would be interesting to look to see if there's any sort of advantage to being on certain on one course or another. And I saw that basically you don't want to start on PGA West, the stadium course. 
It's not a huge difference at all. Chance of do you think a lot? Do you think a lot of that, Mike, is to because do with it's, it's the hardest of the three? Yeah, and so, so you then go you're out looking you... at these guys who are three shots ahead of you in the next course, and you know right. you got to go hard. I think that is that a lot. Yeah, I think that it's that they're playing catch up the last two days. You know, they've only had this rotation of three courses for the last four years. They've had played it four times, and there's been two wins from guys starting at La Quinta. Two wins from guys starting at Nicholas. Nobody that started at the stadium course, but the scoring average at the stadium course is about one under, and at both the Nicholas and La Quinta, it's about 2.4, so it's about 1.4 strokes scoring difference. So, and then in looking at that, I thought I'd also kind of check out how how guys have scored at multi-course tournaments. I think this has got to be slightly different. How do you guys feel players might approach a three-course tournament versus a one-course tournament? I think the the real big difference is, I mean, you got to prepare. I mean, these guys prepare. They're pros, right? They take practice rounds. They're learning every night. They're paying attention. They know what they want to do. And when you got to throw three different courses at them, they're kind of like day by day, in my opinion. And you just, they just can't put the focus they need to for like a full week into one golf course. So I think that makes it a little tough. Do you think it maybe favors a guy who's maybe not as analytical? Just because, I mean, it's got to be harder to prepare for three courses if you're a guy like Bryson, for example. Yeah. You know, you're there for three days and you're trying to, you know, map out, you know, all these little nuances for all three courses versus, like, you know, you know Kevin Kisner, for example, this kind of a whole hum. Hey, I'm just going to show up and play golf and see what happens. I feel like maybe it favors that guy. I would I would agree with that. I don't know if Bryson's worried about uh, what the golf course is like right now. I think he's worried about trying to break that 200 mile an hour ball speed. He'll get there. Yeah, he's not playing this week, but that was just an example. You know, maybe to the extreme. Oh, so he, he's going to go lift weights this week? Going to keep doing that? He'll post some videos on Instagram. I love those videos. I know it's awesome. Do. No, I, I absolutely agree with you. I think it's it, it takes probably years to try and figure out the the trifecta and figure out kind of the subtle nuance of all three of these courses. But yeah, I think a guy who's just balls to the wall, confident. You got to make a ton of birdies this this tournament, right? So I, I 100% agree. Yeah. So Moose, that'd be that'd be a really interesting stat. Who has the most birdies? We track what we call it. There's both birdies gained or birdie or better gained. So. It's not just about how many birdies they they had. It's about how many more they had than the average person in the field. So like a week like this, the field average might be four birdies at one of the courses. So if you only had three, that kind of sounds like a good day, but you weren't as good as the rest of the field. But we can get into those numbers here later. But what I kind of want to do, just from a flip side, since normally we're always focusing so much on the course, I thought I'd look at guys and see who's gained the most strokes when they've played in multi-course tournaments. You know, so if you looked at all the, there's, you know, this one, you've got the Pebble Beach Pro-Am, I believe. Yep. There's a couple others throughout the year. So here's the top 10 uh, multi-course stroke gained leaders. Number one is Phil. Number two is Russell Knox. Got Charles Howell the third. Brian Gay is fourth. Vaughn Taylor, Lucas Glover, Jason Kokrak, Zach Johnson, Scott Piercy, and Kevin Streelman. I mean, think about this, right? Kokrak's a gunslinger. I mean, a lot of birdies. Yeah, and if you're talking about guys who aren't map like worried about one course for four days, and a guy who makes a shit ton of birdies, I mean that makes sense why Kokrak's in there. I mean, didn't Kokrak wasn't he top five last year? T eight, T eight, man. But yeah, no, I mean like all those guys. I mean they're all kind of short knockers outside of Kokrak. Well, Phil. Well, and Phil. Sorry. So, but okay. So outside Phil and Kokrak, I mean they're not. None of them are particularly short, but they're all wedge guys, right? 
Yeah. I mean, I think Russell Knox can play in anything, but the names that jump out are obviously Brian Gay and, and Zach Johnson. I mean, those guys are auto up and down from 105. No one's getting in trouble on these golf courses off the tee for the most part, and they're in wedge range. I mean, yeah, and they have to score. The wedge, the best wedge players should be better on these courses, pretty much what it is. Yeah, so in there we'd be looking at proximity from, you know, 100 to 125 and possibly 125 to 150. And if you want to subscribe to Fantasy National, how do you go about doing that and get a nice little discount? Oh, you go to fantasynational.com slash pods. That's P-O-D-S. Or you could win a free one by subscribing to the podcast, giving it a rating, and posting a review. Top course history, guys. Again, we got Charles Howell, Brennan Steele, Bud Colley, Bill Haas, Andrew Landry, Harris English, Adam Long, who won last year, Lucas Glover again, Jason Kokrak, Phil, and Brian Harmon. Just a lot of, you know, guys that, at least in my head, I picture as being very thin and short. I feel like Charles Howell, from last week to this week, it's just, it, we're clipping coupons. The guy just makes dough. Yeah, why do you think I picked him for our NASA event? Nice shot, Pods. Boo-boo. <laughs> and Brendan <laughs> Steele. Hey, is Brendan Steele playing this event? I don't want to go look it up. Yeah, he's playing this week. Seventy five hundred dollars on DraftKings. I mean, how do you think? How do you think he comes into this after the Sony? Short memory, good. Long flight, short memory. He was basically went into this year. He was flat out said he was worried about keeping his car after this year, and you know now, sorry, he can miss miss the cut the rest of the tournament this year. He's still gonna have his car next year. He made how much did he make this week? Eight like seven fifty. Yeah, that's, so, aw- that's awesome. I mean, he's kind of playing with house money, I feel like, at this point. He's got a good history here, so I, I would not be surprised if he played well this week. Uh, you could also go on to Fantasy National and click on Brendan Seal's name and go back through the history and try to find another event where he you know, had like a uh, second or third or uh, any event that he won and see how he did, how long he took between he pl- the time he played the next round and see if he bounced back right away or if he kind of sat back on easy street. Um Guys who've been in recent form, Vaughn Taylor, he's he's been pretty good here. He had a 12th at the Sony, uh, was 10th at RSM, T2 at OHL. Former Ryder Cupper. He played in the Ryder Cup? Worst huh? team of all time. Tom Lehman got absolutely jobbed. <laughs> Vaughn Taylor. Brett Wetterick. Brett Wetterick. What year was this? JJ. Like, was it 08? 06. Yeah, that makes sense because I was like blackout drunk for those entire <laughs> years. Because <laughs> I don't remember any of that. I don't think Tom Lehman does either. 13 years later, <laughs> still the same program. You know what? Actually, uh, I want to s- circle back to the course history guys, too, and or the tournament history guys. And this is kind of a weird tournament where a lot of tournaments, like last week, where you saw, was it Charles Howell or was it Webb Simpson that hadn't like, missed a. Kind of both, but Webb's been awesome there. And he was last week, too. Um, Sorry. With a lot of tournaments, you'll go back and you'll see there's guys who just consistently have, you know, top tens or top fives or go forever without missing the cut. But with this tournament, for whatever reason, it's hard to find anybody that's had, like, two consecutive top 20s back-to-back, you know, or hasn't missed a cut. Phil, who's got a... T3 and a T2, one in 2016 and one in 2019, was sandwiched around a cut and a T21. Not that the T21 is bad, but, you know, even that one's a missed cut. 
So I think this week, at least for fans or for one and done purposes, you're going to see a lot less obvious course history guys. Do you think being a quote unquote tournament host for an event like this, like throws you off your mojo and off your game? Not that Phil has like a ton coming into form, but like, what does he have to do as tournament host? Take some pictures and go to a cocktail hour or like, does he actually have to do stuff throughout the week? Don't you think most of the stuff he would have done is already done? Probably. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure he'd probably he's show at, up and like do a couple dinners or whatever. Do you think he's doing calf raises during that dinner? <laughs> Of course. Okay. I'm not going to lie. I started doing his calf exercises, and my calves are looking tight. <laughs> Bombs. So he was 40 out, yards he was right. Out, he was out at the at Target Field this year for a KPMG promotional deal, and they were like trying to hit famous home runs or something from Halton Plate, and he was stretching for about 20 minutes before he went out there and took – 15 swings with a wedge, probably. God, I don't want to get old. I do, so I can retire and play golf every single day. <laughs> but joke's on you guys. I'm going to win the Powerball on Wednesday, and I'm going to play golf every day. And you guys can be invited. If you guys want to, if you guys want a chance at the Powerball, you can go to my new Powerball National website. <laughs> and you can get a breakdown. Backslash pods. Yeah, backslash pods. For- backslash pods or ball. So, looking at the time machine, a couple numbers that popped out in terms of just last year. I was just looking at last year's time machine. Bogey avoidance. Now, we've been talking about birdies, but bogey avoidance over the last 24 rounds looked to be pretty uh, promising in terms of a stat. And so did uh, Tita Green Pete Dye courses. So, if you just. So, on our site, if you want to know how somebody plays on Pete Dye courses, it's as simple as clicking a button and it filters out and it only shows. Calculates their stats based on rounds played on Pete Dye. There's also a Jack Nicholas filter, but when I was clicking on that filter, for whatever reason, that wasn't as correlative as the other one was. Is that just because it brings up a lot of dumb courses? (laughs) (laughs) I like Nicholas courses, honestly. Well, that's because you remember at Bear Path and you like that. Well... Yeah, I wouldn't say I like I think that the actual layout there is great. I think the problem there is that the greens are just so soft. I love the layout. You know, one of the things that Jack does really well at a lot of his places, he likes to take like features, like natural features, and kind of weave them out, you know, throughout the course. Like I think it's the entire back nine of Valhalla is running through a creek where at Bear Path here in Eden Prairie, he found a way to like have the course wind through like tons of million dollar houses. <laughs> a lot of houses. His courses, for the most part, they're typically, like you said, wide fairways, mostly protected by the greens, tend to favor a fade, but he does a good job of making distinct holes. I can't tell you a lot, you know, how many times I've played a course where it just seems like you get done, you're like, I don't remember more than two holes. That's because you usually have four or five IPAs. Yeah. Probably hit the pen a little bit. (laughs) A little bit? (laughs) Uh, any you guys see any potential values this week on Twitter that you guys liked? I like Brian Gay there. I like the other Brian, Brian Harmon. I was looking at, uh, I told you I was looking earlier at the time machine and was looking at last 24 rounds and bogey avoidance, as well as birdies gained. Saw that Harris English this week at 7,700 is 
third in the field in bogey avoidance, fourth in birdies. You've got Ryan Gay is fifth in bogey avoidance and first in birdies gained. Denny McCarthy is sixth in bogey avoidance and ninth in birdies gained. And Carlos Ortiz is eighth in bogey avoidance. So all those guys are between 7,200 and 7,700. So some potential values there, uh, all of which should be in fairly decent form. Brian Gay has missed two straight cuts, so he is not one of them. I still like Brian Gay for this. Not for like my one and done like him, but like I think he's value. At seven. So did you months. hear that he how he picked up twenty five yards of his tee shot? How uh, lifting the left heel off the ground? He's been working on it, I think, for years now. But isn't that a big like chambly? Yeah. Thing like that he's yeah. all it's more that. fluid, not like such tighter yeah. motion. Yeah, but won't lifting up the left heel will give you more rotation at right on the around the waist. But but it's rare to see a tour pro actually actively work on it. If it's something like just kind of instilled in you, like Bubba from day one, sure, I get it. Yeah, but I think he needed to. He's one of the shortest guys on tour. For sure. I mean, the game, if you can't hit it, I don't know, what, 280? Is tour tour average? What about, what was that? I don't know. That was weird. (laughs) Is that you farting mode? Did you fart? Was like an alien come out of your asshole? I there? did, I did, and it sucks. I got the headphones on, so I'm like thinking, "Oh yeah, that was kind of silent." Yeah, you know, you can click the mute button. <laughs> Not even sorta. Not even sorta. That was like a robot alien or something. Oops. I mean, I don't know how far Brian so, Gay hits it, but I mean, he needs to be longer. The, like this event and a few other ones, he can kind of get there. But I mean, if he wants to compete and make more cuts, I mean, he has to get longer. So, I mean, it's pretty awesome that he actually doing something about it. Being a, a 280 knocker on the PGA Tour has to be such like a weird road, right? I mean, you got to chart out your, I don't know, 25 tournaments. And where am I going to go where I don't have to hit a dead straight? I mean, a guy like Rom can go anywhere. He can go do whatever he wants. But a guy like Brian Gay has to be like very serious in what he does because he's going to get on a, a stretch where he misses five cuts in a row because he's <clears> hitting the fucking woods. Yeah, I mean, I think that'd be like – That'd be a super interesting conversation to have with someone like kind of at that level to really say like, right, hey, your does your distance off the tee dictate what tournaments you choose to play in? Oh, I'm sure they definitely do. I'm sure it also has to do with you know how hot the chicks are in that town. Or... <laughs> so while we're on like Brian Gate, so and it's George, chicks. Ryan Rhino and Tracker are both big on him this week. Good value. So moves. Let's say you're doing. You know, I just do a handful of DraftKings lineups every week. So let's say you're building 20 lineups. You really like Brian Gay. Like, how many should you actually put him in? Even if, say, I really like, I'm pretty confident. But you know, what's the smart play for for that? So let's just let's let's pretend that let's just talk about you know Guy X instead of Brian Gay in particular, okay. right? So, which I guess is a good spot to kind of talk about our lineup generator. Tracker, you don't play much DFS at all, correct? No, I You're don't. Like, I did it for a little bit. I'm running to real gambling. Like, I do a lot of, like, head-to-head, uh, you know, pick the tournament winner. DFS, I've just never spent much time on. Uh, Jordan, when you, do you play a little DraftKings from time to time? Or? I, I do, yeah. I, I guess I don't get too deep. Probably three or four lineups is about as deep as I'll go. Sometimes with the Millie Maker, I'll, I'll, I'll put kind of teams together with other other friends of ours. But, yeah, I'm, I'm with Tractor. The head-to-head statistic is is where to go, but I would like to possibly kind of 
start looking at putting together like 20 small teams just to see how that works. Yeah, what's that what's that thing called like the nickels the nickel deal or something? Yeah, there's like there's a quarter arcade. So yeah. and that's what I'd recommend. So let me back up for a little bit for everybody else. So there, obviously there's a couple ways to play. You can just do a single entry tournament, you can do 50/50s, you can do three entry max tournaments, then there's 20 entry max where you can put in 20 different lineups and then there's other turns where you can do like 150 to 200 entries. And for me personally, and my goals are not to like strike it rich and win millions playing fantasy golf. My objective is to have something to root for on the weekend and not cost me a fortune. Uh, I deposited $600 last time I deposited $600 back in February of last year. I play about 65 to $70 a week or I mean, 65 to maybe $120 a week. And I haven't had to re up. So I'm not making money. And I think I'm, I've got like, $450. So I'm down a little bit, but I've gotten my entertainment value out of it. And I like to put together 20 lamps. Now at fantasynational.com slash pods, you can quickly and easily build 20 lineups and it's not like taking forever because who really has time to put together 20 DraftKings lineups? So back to your question, Paul, is if you really like Brian Gay this week, what's the right number? Three to four would be like kind of a minimum. So let me let me back this up here in a different and phrase this in a different way. Because people, let's say it's not Brian Gay, because nobody's gonna go all in on Brian Gay. Tony Fino. Okay, yes, you love Tony Fino this week. There are some people who will want to put Tony Fino on every single one of those 20 lineups. Me, I don't want to do that ever. If Tony Fino misses the cut, you've got 20 lineups that the best you can do is get five to six guys through the week, right? I mean, last week. We had Justin Thomas coming off a win. We had the most consistent guy ever, Matt Kuchar. We had Patrick Reed, who was second the week before. All three of those guys missed the cut. You could have been super big on all three of those guys. If you went 100% on any one of them, you're done, and you've got nothing to root for for the week, right? Mm -hmm. So the answer isn't necessarily how much is too much. It's it's all about risk-reward. If you... If Brian Gay wins this week and you had 100% Brian Gay, you're in a pretty good position, right? Not necessarily going to win all the money, but if you really thought Brian Gay was going to win this weekend and he was the guy that you wanted to put on every single one of your lineups, you'd be better off going to the sports book and getting probably 25 to 1 or better. Oh, he's way more than plus 2,500. First off, people will often ask me, like, hey, this guy's really popular this week. You know, we're pro- everybody's projecting him to be like 25% owned. Does that mean I shouldn't play him? No, not if you think he's going to do good. You should play the guy. But you've got to have some low-owned people in your pool somewhere to differentiate your lineup. So, again, what the fantasy line- national lineup generator allows you to do is it allows you to build lineups quickly. But what it also does is it tries to mix up your lineups as much as you can. A lot of people will say, hey, I like these three guys. Should I put these three guys on all my lineups and then kind of sprinkle in some trash everywhere else? And again, yes, you could. But now you're essentially creating a three-person parlay, right? Because if all your lineups have the same three guys on it and one of those guys shits the bed, all your lineups are junk. So what we want to do is the way that the lineup generator works, it's not an optimizer. It's not trying to... Spin an optimizer. When you use those optimizers, 
A lot of times you'll have the same five guys on every lineup and it just keeps throwing in the next, you know, one other guy. So you've got 20 lineups that are almost identically the same. What we do is we'll pick one guy, put him on your lineup. And then when we go to pick another guy for that lineup, we'll go, hey, does he have any lineups that already have these two guys on them? Oh, yes, he does. Okay, let's throw him out and try to find somebody else and do that in there. And it keeps going all the way through so that your lineups are as diverse as possible. And then Moose is uh, this percentage of owned or expectation of percent owned. Is that off the Fantasy National site or are we getting that off uh, like DraftKings? So two things. So we project what the ownership is supposed to be or what the ownership's going to be. So we say, hey, we think this person is going to be about 18% owned. But then once the lineups actually come out, then you see what percentage it is for everybody. And do you have any stats on uh, in your history of Fantasy National, like kind of how close you are to those projected percentages versus uh, what they end up being? Yeah, so... Like, I think that the number is like an R squared, and I think we have like an R squared coefficient of 0.9. So it's pretty much, it. you're so, pretty much spot on. Yeah, we're, so what, what happens every week is we're within like a tenth of a point of almost everybody, and then there's probably two or three guys every week that just jump up 10, and you can never determine who that is, but just somebody's going to get about 10% more than anybody's projecting. But for like the rest of the field outside those three guys were like right on the nuts. But the thing is, too, is when you're looking at ownership, you're not really concerned with, oh, is this guy going to be 13% or is he going to be 15%? It's like, no, is he going to be 30 or is he going to be 4? That's what you're really looking for. The idea is that you don't need to like load your lineups up with only guys that are low owned. You just want to make sure that you've got enough low owned guys on your roster so that when they f- go in there, even if they're with, you know, the super chalky guys, and that's what they call the guys that are super high on the chalk, is you just want to make sure you got some guys that are going to differentiate your team so that you're not just doing the lottery. The other thing that you want to focus on is you want to make sure that you're overweight, meaning that you have more shares or a higher percentage of a guy on your lineup than the rest of the field does. If you have the same, if, if your exposure matches what the actual field's ownership percentages are, you're going to lose money because the average person loses money. So you need to be able to take a stand. One of the ways to do that is to find those value plays down in the lower tier, somebody that's low, get them sprinkled into a lot of your different lineups. So this sounds like a pretty sweet thing on Fantasy National that you guys should all go check out. I would highly recommend if you guys, after you guys listen to this, listen to the pod, Shoot us on our Twitter feeds uh, some questions or was this useful? Was it easy to use? What do you want to know more about it? It sounds like a really good topic that Moose could go super in-depth on. So if you guys have comments on this after you guys use it to uh, build some lineups and have you see how the week went, shoot us some uh, some tweets at uh, and then Moose can get back to us on that because I think this would be a really cool thing to follow up on Moose. And kind of get some of the oh, questions yeah. and feedback. Because like a guy no, like absolutely. me, I'm worried about, will Vegas pick head-to-heads right now that I give a shit about? Yeah, and that's tough. They will, though. They know their audience. They're not morons. They didn't pick Brennan Steele on Sunday, though. They didn't touch it. For a head-to-head? Nope. Yeah, that's right. It wasn't on there. Nope. I did pretty good this week. I went uh, three out of four. <sighs> Don't worry about it, boys. 
I was 50-50 this week and lost like $2.25. On You're not going to even need to win that Powerball track. Yeah. <laughs> three out of four. Yeah. But I don't bet enough. I'm not betting $100 million bucks a fucking match. I'm betting like 50 a match. Well, that's pretty solid. I'm going with the big old five ski. You got you, you to gotta pump those numbers up, buddy. Uh, 50 is too much, man. No, it's not. Gol- head-to-head golf betting is the cruelest fucking game known to man. Yeah. Things go so south so quick. But I'm willing to lose 50 bucks. Like, I don't care. Like, I, you got to find a number. Like, dude, gambling is you got to find a number that makes that makes a little bit of difference. Like, 50 to me is like my number. I used to bet way more than that, and that hurt. And if I bet less, I just don't care, so I won't bet. So, like, 50 is my number. See, for me, all I need is a scorecard. Like, and to me, that the money is the scorecard. So it doesn't matter if it's five dollars or fifty. I'm not going to do anything different if I win fifty dollars. So yeah, yeah. Well, you're also talking to the guy who spent five hundred bucks on the T pup games, and I didn't even watch them. So we're in two different worlds <laughs> here. Yeah. So one thing I'd recommend to people who are kind of getting into fantasy golf is to try doing the multi entry, the multi entry bit. You can like like we said, get into the quarter arcade where you can fill out twenty lineups for five dollars. I think. And you can win probably a hundred bucks off that five bucks. It's pretty fun, and, and most importantly, at least for me, is it gives you a good shot to have something to root for in, on the weekend. Now, it's not every week you're gonna like pull home money. You're trying to tread water. The idea is that on your losing weeks, you don't lose everything, and on your just awesome weeks, you crush it. Uh, last thing I want to say on it too before we move on is people ask me how many players they should have in their player pool like for the lineup generator to run. And it depends. It's it's a very risk-reward sort of thing. So the fewer guys you have, the higher the risk, the, the bigger the reward. And the more guys you have, the more likely you are to have the winner, the more likely you are to have something that cashes. But everything's going to be so spread out. It's more like a shotgun approach with a huge widespread and so I found that if I have any more than, you know, I like to stay between like 14 and 20, but if you get into that 25 or more, you've got way too many players. And again, if you got if you're not going to put a guy on more than one roster, you shouldn't be rostering to begin with. You want to believe in the guys that you're going with and you got to take a stand somewhere. Hey Moose, coming from a guy who doesn't do a lot of DFS on this quarter arcade. So say you win the quarter arcade for the week. What does that pay out? Yeah, so this week's quarter arcade, you can win $300 for first, $200 for second. But then keep in mind if you've got if you've got 20 lineups going, you're most likely not just going to have one that gets you first and then nothing else. You're probably going to have one that gets you first, maybe one that's in the, you know, 26th or 30th range for another $15 and then probably five or six that are getting you three or four. So you're probably going to win like if you crush it that week, you could win maybe 325, 350 bucks. Off a total more. entry of uh, on a total entry of what? Five dollars. Five bucks. Yeah. So that's pretty badass. Yeah, so it's super fun. And it's especially like because it takes some time to kind of understand, you know, trying to figure out what you like and what you don't in terms of, you know, how many guys you like to pick. Do I want to go all in on somebody or do I wanna, you know, what the different tons of different strategies out there? And that's one of the the fun things too, you, it gets such a bad connotation because everybody's like, "Oh, you got these guys flooding the, you know, flooding with just tons of entries and picking every single combination." It's like, no, 
You've got 20 picks. I mean, like, you're not going to, you know what I mean? Like, I guarantee you that's not the secret. If it was, everybody would fork over five bucks and turn it into 350 bucks, right? Yeah. So, Moose, let's do this this week. You'll get me into this DraftKings, or the four of us, we're going to rock out a quarter arcade for the five bucks, and let's see who wins. Sounds good. Deal. Let's do it. I like it. Let's add that to our third piece of our awesomeness. When that brings us into, uh, you know, what else we do here? We got our one and dones in NASA. Let's start with the one and dones from last week. Oh, who won? It was me, Tractor, with Webb Simpson. Like, the fact that you guys didn't pick Webb Simpson is just beyond me. Six of six cuts made, a bunch of T20s. Like, how do you not pick him? I mean, I did, and I'm in the lead. I mean, I think the what really proves is you guys are morons. Well, my guy was off to a hot start. He... Dusted the field by three on Thursday. I was praying for rain showers, but he had to play the rest of the week. Uh, and then he had to put on 18. Yeah, I was going to say 18, the 72nd hole of the tournament didn't go so hot for Morikawa. He uh, he had a T9. He had about a four-footer. Wasn't really a slider because they were rolling about eight. Um, he had a pretty straightforward putt. He booted that. He had a pretty straightforward uphill three-footer for T12. He booted that. Um, that dropped us down to T21, which was uh, roughly $110,000 loss for Team Rhino. And, uh, yeah, so T21, it's it's an okay start, but it uh, it is what could have been. And yeah, let's talk about how much money for one and done you could have had if you won put it. Go through that number. Well, it would have been about 174 and So I he booted it, that one, then what did he lose at? And then he would have been <laughs> about 112 Yeah, and then what happened? Where we actually currently lie is at about sixty five thousand oh, dollars. That's just so, that's just too bad. I'm so sorry. Hey, for you, everybody wanted to get the fuck out of there. He was no different. And uh, yeah, so do you so, think hey, that? Hey, right, he made for, the cut. He made the cut. So we so we got more than seven grand. Okay, he got so do you, more than zero. So yeah. Okay, so do Rock you think for stuff. like a young guy like Colin, he, the guy's gonna be a stud? We all know that. Yes, he right? he's already won. Do you think that is a huge learning experience? No, of like, no. dude, you got to mentally keep it up. Like you have he's got, to finish. Nope, he's got friends and family in the area. It, it, so I was surprised that I knew he had never played the golf course in tournament, but he's also had never played the golf course in, until like last Tuesday or whatever. So, so you think not knowing the golf course makes you three whip from like five feet? On the I think last fucking day? driving rain. I think it. Well, he also was at. Uh, yeah, keep keep trying, Jordan. He was still a, he was a Kapalua too, right? So they basically have played seven of eight rounds on the PGA Tour this year of lift clean in place. And so it's, so because he didn't get lift clean in place on the seventy second hole from the green, that's why he three whipped. I think he's had enough. It was yeah, he got fed up. You would have just walked off the golf course, you dude. I would have been three sheets on hole two. Maybe he was. I don't know. But regardless, it's sixty-five grand. It's a T twenty-one, and it's something. That's where I'm at. Hey, Paul, who's keeping track? You want to give us a rundown of, uh, you know, of the four of us where the money's at after week one? I'm gonna gloat because let's just be honest, I suck at this. Oh, really? So if I'm in a current lead, I'm going to run my mouth. Well, because of that tractor, I told Paul this week that he didn't need to do the actual money totals because it's one weekend, so. He could just list off who's first through fourth. We can get it here in about ten seconds. We don't need to, Paul. No, well, I want to hear. Let's not give him this. Let's not give him the satisfaction. The listeners want to hear the track. Nobody prog- wants to hear how great the track. Here's another. So the PGA Tour. 
website where the official money should be. If you go to past results, they don't even show the money. It just shows FedEx code. Way to do, way to be prepared, Paul. You had one job. For those who want to give Paul shit, reach out to him at FNGC Paul and tell him be prepared next week. He needs more followers too. Webb Simpson was solo third. Colin Morikawa, T21, won $64,350. My guy, Patrick Reed, who's not my guy, decided to miss the cut after playing great since September, basically. Thanks for that, Patrick. Um, And Moose's pick, Justin Thomas, also missed the cut. So I feel a little better that I burned Patrick Reed at $0. So, Moose, how do you feel about... And not Justin Thomas. How do you feel about... Yeah, again, how do you feel about burning... Justin Thomas for an MC. Well, Tractor, thank you for asking. It doesn't feel good. Feels like I stubbed my toe really hard. I don't necessarily regret picking him. I think I made the right call at the right time. He just came off a win. He's not a guy that I was worried about following up with another thing. We're in a weak field. I thought, let's come out swinging. It seemed like a very Justin Thomas thing to do to start the year off by winning two straight. Jordan, Mr. Rhino, was projecting three more wins out of him this season. I thought maybe, yes, this could be one of them. Yeah. I mean, a lot of guys go back-to-back throughout the season. It's just history. By a lot. Yeah, maybe one or two every couple of years. Yes. <laughs> but... Yeah, no, it doesn't feel good, but you know what? I just kind of feel like I'm handicapping you guys for the rest of the year. It's like, I'm going to win this without getting a single dollar from Justin Thomas, and I'm going to feel pretty good about that. So, Webb Simpson took home $455,400. So, if my University of St. Thomas math serves me right, you have about a $391,000 lead. That's all I need. Objects in your mirror. No, they're pretty far away right now. Well, you just keep going hot with your Brian Gay takes. and So let's get into our one and dones this week. Who are we taking? Well, I'll start since I burned the biggest guy. And and I tried coming out aggressive, and I'm a little bashful now. So I'm going to come out with Joel Damon here. Uh, so the opposite ooh. school of thought. Yep, not going to worry about not using them. I'm kind of just, I need to regroup. I don't know what's up and what's down. He had a 12th last week. He had a good summer a couple of years ago. That's all I remember. The bucket hats? Yeah, Joel Damon is who I'm going with this week. Yeah, he's the hat guy. So yeah, most, most of you nominate someone. Let's do it that way. Well, so now I'm going to go to Paul here because he's, he's number three on the bottom totem pole. We'll just go reverse order here. Thanks. Uh, looked at a couple guys, but I'm going to go with a guy that I think is due for a win. Doesn't have one yet, but he's been knocking on the door. Uh, I'm going to go with Jason Kokrak. T8 here in 2018. T18 last year. Hasn't played since October in the uh, HSBC. Finished T8 there. So, a little tough to go up recent form, but um, he popped up on some, uh, some of the Fantasy National stats that Moose just went over. Um, Seventh stroke gains gained on multi-course tournaments. Um, also ninth course history stroke gains since this uh, this rotation's been put into place. And uh, also the pride of Warren, Ohio. Can't go wrong with that. Jordan, who you got this week? Uh, guy who's about half a human shorter uh, and hits it from the other side, too. Uh, Brian Harmon. He's got 
three top 20s here in the last four years. He's got decent form. He's one of the top five guys in terms of low scoring, and I think you got to go scuba low at, at this tournament. So I think that's that's my guy for the week. I'm going Brian Harmon. All right, that puts uh, Tractor myself uh, next. I'm going to go with Kevin Kisner this week. Uh, we talked a lot about how we think, you know, with the multi-course tournament, some guys are kind of free rolling. I think I like to think Kisner is kind of that guy. So I'm going to go with Kevin Kisner this week. So those are our one and dones. So that boys, that brings us to our next segment. Uh, obviously, this show was brought to you by Fantasy National. You can save 20%, 20% by checking out fantasynational.com slash pods, P-O-D-S. Uh, that brings us into our really fun game. We started playing the NASA event. Uh, Paul, you want to give us a little rundown from last week? And also, I hope you guys followed us on Twitter and online on this. I think we've actually really stumbled upon a really fun fantasy-type game for four guys. I mean, honestly, I think this could be a future of golf fantasy. Like, I, it's really fun. It's so fun, and it's so simple. Except, I mean, you guys got your ass kicked. You guys got smoked. You can't have anybody miss the cut. Yeah, Moose, Moose what was the damage? It was, it was my fault, Pods, to pick Matt Kuchar. Guy decides to miss a cut for the first time in his life. Hey, do you want to? Hey, Pause. hey, hey, Paul. Do you want to bitch about the new cut rule that cost you so much? Yeah, I mean, what they they move it down to the top sixty-five from top seventy, right? Correct. Yeah. And sure enough, first week, new game, it screws Matt Kuchar over because he would have made the cut if it weren't for that new rule. And I'm sure he probably. I'd like to think he would have made more than three birdies. Which is what he made the first two days. So yeah, but but uh, but odds are right. He's so far back. He's still going to be that MDA or like made cut did not finish stats. We still didn't get to play sun, Sunday. Well, he would have had he made a couple birdies yeah. on, on Saturday, but nope, no, nope. You're short and Kucher, huh? Well, I'm only shorting him because Paul had him. So just just in case uh, any of these people, any of our listeners, aren't golfers that play Nassau. So the way that Nassau works is it's match play. So the low score on a hole wins a point, and you have nine points on the front nine. Whoever gets the most points on the front nine wins the front nine. Same thing on the back. Who gets the most points on the back nine, that's worth a point. And then you have the total points throughout the whole thing. You add that up, and that's worth another point. So there's three points for each round. There's one for the front nine, one for the back nine, and one for the total. Yeah, and we play this over four days, so if you miss a cut, you're kind of fucked. What was the point total last week, Moose? It we... was nine to one. Yeah, nine to one. So the t- ties just are nothing. Negated out. Okay, well, there be no there be no point for that nine or total. Yeah, yeah. So half. Yeah, you don't get a half point. It's just we're just playing Nassau rules. So so Moose here. So to to combat the MC, what about this? You could add like a uh, a Mulligan guy. So you could say if one of our guys misses the cut, we can bring in another guy. I don't Which, like that. No. I don't like it either, Tractor. That's the worst idea ever mentioned on this podcast, to be honest with you. One of the things that fantasy golf does, because making the cut is so important, it makes Friday so exciting. Like, going into Friday, Howell was right on the cut line and so was Kuchar. They were both right there to start the day. They were both one outside the cut. And so 
like it makes Friday so much more exciting and so much more pivotal than if like, oh, it's all right if he misses it because I can just swap in my mulligan guy, yeah. assuming my mulligan guy makes the cut. I think that, the way we're going to okay. do it's really cool. I just, I mean, when it gets kind of out of hand. Well, you know what also would have made the game much better is if Paul's player would have made the fucking cut. Yeah, that that's really happened. what it boils down to. You know what? This week I'm going with somebody else, Paul. You're no longer my partner. I'm glad. I'm gonna I'm gonna kill you this week. Tractor's riding high off his Webb Simpson pick, so I'll gladly ride that wave. And a fucking domination, NASA. What what, Rhino? It was a domination. Still I still almost beat you guys in a nine single handedly, so Yeah, is that why you got beat nine to one? Hmm. So, Paul, what are the teams this week? Because we are rotating partners every week. It is Paul and Tractor versus Moose and Rhino. Let's go. So, who's got so the Moose, first? Moose, you want to flip the T like you did last week? Or yep, I'll wanna... flip the T here. So, it's you guys, Paul or Paul and Tractor are starting out here. And, hey, All Paul right. or uh, Moose, just to preface, are we allowed to pick Guys that have been picked in the past of the Nassau tournament. Yes, you just cannot pick anybody played played in the one and done this week. Got Can it. I get a list of who the one and done picks were again? Uh, Joel Damon, Jason Kolkrak, Brian Harmon, Kevin Kisner. Tractor, do you mind if I lead us off? I think last week my problem was I uh, I tried to go too conservative. Yeah, picking dude, second. Straight firepower, just straight gas. All right. So rather than go the conservative route this week, I'm going to go with kind of hot young player. Uh, makes boatloads of birdies, which for this game is uh, pivotal. Um, he is currently fifth place in the 2020 season in birdies per round at 4.89. Seven starts, three top tens. I'm going with Scotty Scheffler, 2019 Corn Ferry Tour Player of the Year. Yeah, buddy. So Moose Rhino, you guys are up. Yeah, Jordan. Uh Man, I kind of feel like I got to defer to you here just because... Because you suck? Yeah, this is a pretty straightforward pick for me because I think he's probably top brass in the field. Love the way he plays. Needed a little R&R. I think the season winded down. President's Cup took a toll on the guy. He's due for a real-life win, and this is the kind of tournament that he can do it at, and that's Tony Finau. I like that. Do you like? Did you uh, enjoy watching him on that Asian Tour event? He was T5. How much money did they have to pay him to get there? Probably more than he made as a T5. <laughs> All I know is I watched him and uh, Shane Lowry making dumplings. It was awesome. Guess Shane what? They're was not T2. good at it. Shane was T2. So they paid Doe to get those boys over there, and they, they both performed. So but they but they should. It's the Asian Tour. I, mean, I get the Asian Tour Stop has some that. pretty good stuff. But, like, dude, they're, they're two hella players. If they weren't top 10, I'd be concerned. Is it my pick or should it go? Yeah, up? it's your pick. Give, give Scotty a good partner. I'm going with Sug JM. I mean, my partner me. had him last week. I'm taking him this week. T12 last year. T21 last week. I mean, triple he's got the, triple 21 top 25s and 42 starts. I mean, how can you not? Love it. Sounds pretty good. God, our, dude, our team is stacked, Paul. Oh, Rhino, Rhino, Rhino! I got, I got my guy, but I'm a little worried because he hasn't been playing lately. Did I, just, did I take the Tony Finau pick out of you or what? No, well, you know what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna go a little boring here. I was, I was gonna throw in a little Benny on. Yeah, but you know what? I'm gonna go with Sticky Ricky. <sighs> 
Sure. I mean, he's there. He's ranked 11 in the field and strokes gained total. He's rocking the new speed zone line by Cobra. He was fifth at the Tournament of Champions two weeks ago. He's got a little rest and relaxation in. It is time to play. Who the hell is that guy? And what should his nickname be? Alrighty, so I was looking at the field again and a name popped out at me because I remember watching... Yeah, the final tournament of the Corn Ferry uh, event last August, I believe it was. Kind of the last event where guys are, you know, fighting to get in the top 25 to get their PGA Tour cards. Uh, the name Scott Harrington jumped out at me. A um, little background, kind of a cool story. Um, if we're coming up with a nickname, um, should definitely be something classy because sounds like kind of a first kind of classy guy. You'll see why. Uh, 39-year-old rookie, been a professional since 2004. It's kind of off and on the Corn Ferry Tour, nationwide tour back then, a few other things. Um, he's been on tour now every year since 2012, kind of fighting to make his tour card, been close a couple times. Uh, 2017, had just finished second in an event in May, had put himself in a good position where if he had a good finish to the year, he'd get his tour card. Um, right after that event, his wife got diagnosed with uh, lymphoma, um, kind of took its toll on him, struggled the rest of the year. Uh, she did some chemo, um, got it into remission. Then uh, the following year, 2018, it came back. Um, Scott only played one more tournament. Basically, the only reason he played that one more tournament was so he could uh, go to this event, meet with the the then president of the tour, um, who was kind enough to grant him a special medical crisis ex- extension, which uh, kind of gave him his card on the uh, on the Corn Ferry Tour the following year. One cool thing was a bunch of guys on tour where even Scott kind of said, you know, on that tour, it's a lot of guys kind of grinding out there, not a lot of disposable income. They were able to raise over $127,000 for he and his wife uh, to pay for some medical medical bills. Um, and actually, Steph Curry uh, from the Golden State Warriors donate, ended up donating $25,000 after he learned about his wife's situation at, uh, at the Web Deck, or sorry, the Corn Ferry event that he played in. Kind of feel-good story. Um, uh, she ended up um, she ended up going undergoing a bone marrow transplant. Um, kind of a cruel process the way it sounds, but um, sounds like she's good now. Um, in remission. Uh, last year he was went into the final event of the Corn Ferry Tour Finals, needing a second or better to get his PGA Tour card, and ended up uh, birdieing the 18th hole, par five, reachable par five, driver six iron to ten feet, two putted for birdie. Got his card right there on the spot. Wife was there. Uh, a lot of tears. I remember seeing it on TV. So pretty cool stories in the field this week. Um, and I kind of forgot about it. He actually finished tied for second at the Houston Open back in October. So um, made seven of eight cuts. So he's already at over $800,000 for the 2020 season. So should have his card back next year too. But um, so yeah, kind of a guy we I'd like to highlight there. Um, so with that said, kind of what do you need nicknames for him that you, that you can think of? Before we get into nicknames, I mean, I just, that's such an awesome story. I mean, the guy's been playing mini tours since 2004, did you say? Yep. 2004, it's 2019, so he's been doing it for it's 2020 years. The guy's, yeah, he's a 39-year-old. He well, is, when it he, happened, when it happened, it, it was, or even just two years prior, though, like, he, he's getting close, he's been working at us for 12 years. And just like has, you know, his time's running out to take the time away for your wife. I mean, like, 
That's awesome. Yep. I mean, yeah, and he you know pretty much you know like I said, 2018. Once it, once her cancer came back, he just you know said I I can't do it. You know, but to his credit, you know, family first. So it's you know he kind of went into 2019. She said, Hey, I'm I'm doing good. I feel good. You need to go chase this again. And he kind of made the comment. He's like, I just knew it was my year. And I mean, but you think about it, you got to go into the last event and you got to finish second or better. To, I mean, <laughs> and to do it, story doesn't get much better than that. No, I did. I kind of am at a loss for giving the guy a nickname. Yeah, it's you know, you, kind of the game last week we had some fun, but it's you know, you, you see some of these stories, and it's, that's one thing I think in this podcast we want to do a little bit of is kind of introduce some of our listeners to these guys, you know, maybe they haven't heard of before. And you know, there's some, there's some great stories out there. You know, you think of a, a rookie on tour and you think, oh, it's just a guy, probably a guy, you know, right out of college or something, young gun, but there's you know. There's a handful of these guys that have been, you know, grinding for, you know, in some cases, decades, you I'm, know, and for them to finally make it, it's like, how do you not root for them? Yeah, I mean, he played his rookie year on the Corn Ferry in 2004. And that's yep. 16, 15, 16 years ago. It's, that's a, yeah, it looked that's like a for a few grind. years there early in his career, he was kind of on and off that tour, you know, playing the Canadian tour and some different things. But it's been a mainstay on the Corn Ferry tour for... So should his nickname just be... Mr. Scott Harrington. Mr. Scott. I like I yeah. like that. Mr. Scott. Yeah. Next week we'll find someone we can make fun of. <laughs> this week was a feel good story out of Paul. It's a yeah. feel good story, but I also like his chances too. I yeah. Think. I mean, dude, the guy made six consecutive cuts. Yeah. Only sixty five hundred dollars on DraftKings this week. Yeah, maybe you uh flip out Brian Gay for uh, Scott Harrington, boys. Okay, everyone, that's about it for this episode of Nice Shot Pods. On behalf of Tractor, Rhino, and Paul, this is the Musonomic saying thanks for listening. Please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on your podcast machine if you haven't done so already. Write a review, give us a rating, retweet our stuff. Thanks so much. We'll see you next time at the Farmers Insurance Open in Torrey Pines.